Welcome, Vetfolio voice friends. This episode explores a really cool, kind of novel approach to veterinary practice that I hope will pique your curiosity the same way it did mine. For this episode, I was lucky enough to sit down with Dr. Ivan Zakharenkov, aka Dr. Zak of Galaxy Vets. Dr. Zak is such an interesting, not to mention extremely well-spoken person to talk to for so many reasons. I think what I found most compelling though is his experience with burnout, which I so appreciated him sharing in our talk, and the path that led him down to really delve into the root causes of burnout in the veterinary profession and to create measurable criteria to evaluate and prevent burnout. And it was out of all of this research that Galaxy Vets was born. Honestly, I'm really not doing it justice, so let me go ahead and tell you more about Dr. Zach, and then I'll let him explain it. Dr. Ivan Zach Zakharenkov is a veterinarian and entrepreneur and a passionate advocate for the well-being of veterinary professionals. After 12 years in ER and a severe case of burnout, Ivan pivoted to creating products that improve the workflows and experience of veterinary teams. He founded SmartFlow, a workflow optimization system, and veterinary integration solutions, an executive consulting firm offering a proprietary operating platform for enterprise management and burnout prevention. Pursuing his goal to make a sizable impact on the veterinary industry, Dr. Zach founded Galaxy Vets, a veterinary healthcare system co-owned by its employees and with burnout prevention as a strategic priority. Along the way, Ivan obtained an MBA degree in international healthcare management with a thesis, Implementation of Lean Thinking to Improve the Employee Experience. Ivan is the co-host of two podcasts, the Veterinary Innovation Podcast and Consolidate That. His hobbies are fishing, badminton, weightlifting, and reading. Ivan lives in Canada with his wife, two kids, and four ducks. All right, let's go ahead and get into this episode. So for this episode, I'm here with Dr. Zach of Galaxy Vets, and we're going to talk a little bit more about Galaxy Vets and how it's kind of a unique model in veterinary medicine. Dr. Zach has also been involved in some burnout studies, really looking at burnout and quality of life in veterinary medicine. So I'm really looking forward to diving into those a little bit more. Dr. Zach, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. So let's start from the very beginning. Can you tell us your story? I understand that your personal experiences have really had a big influence on the burnout studies and the formation of Galaxy Vets. Yep. The original idea where the burnout came into my life, it wasn't just trying to solve the industry issue, but it was something that I went through from my personal experience. And I um, I practiced veterinary medicine, mostly in the emergency field since I graduated and about six years into it, experienced my own personal burnout, which I now know that that's what it was before. I just thought I went crazy, but yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely an experience that I didn't like. I had to leave the industry for about six months because I just didn't want to step into the exam room and uh, more comfortable talking about it now, but almost lost my life through several attempts to suicide. So that was a part of it. But after that, I got through it and I switched gears a little bit into the industry, build a product called SmartFlow. Maybe some of the listeners know about it. It's a workflow optimization system, um, then sold it to IDEX. I ran IDEX software division for a short period of time. And then after that, as I was finishing my MBA, I wrote a dissertation about the burnout because I wanted to understand a little better 
where it comes from, given my personal experience, I think I can have personal insight added to it, but I wanted to take a little bit of a scientific approach to it. So we ran a first study as a part of my dissertation on understanding how burned out the industry is. And then we found some sort of uh, findings that were that we don't didn't expect to find, but as we started to slice data, we understood that the younger vets burn out more than the more senior ones, uh, than the technicians are more burnout than the vets. So we decided to repeat the study now every year, and then we always measure the burnout overall in the industry, and then in parallel we ask more questions so we can then interrogate data and understand what are the factors that influence that. So. That's my long answer. I guess I didn't pack Galaxy Vets into it. Uh, <laughs> using that dissertation, I decided to build a consultancy company that I was trying to uh, bring a little human on the dark side of corporate medicine. And I wanted <laughs> uh, the corporate medicine to run organizations with people in mind, therefore preventing burnout. But I wanted to show the economic value of it. So they understand it's not just sort of let's save the vets, but it's actually when you care about people, it improves your top and bottom line. And I've done that for about four or five years, got frustrated because I was getting not a lot of traction behind it from the corporate groups. And we decided to build one that will actually deeply care about the burnout. So Galaxy Vet is it. It has employee ownership component. And our main purpose of the organization is decreasing the burnout in the veterinary domain. You know, I, I've heard that story before, just, you know, reading about your story. And then we've talked about it briefly when we were getting ready to, to, to do this episode. And whenever you talk about it, you just have my rapt attention where it's, it's such a human progression, but also such a logical one where you took, you know, a, a really scary situation and you turned it into something very productive. If you're comfortable with it, can I go and touch on something you said in the very beginning of your answer there, where you said, I was burnout, but I thought I was just going crazy. Before we go further into the, these burnout studies and, and what you found, are you comfortable talking about that a little bit in case maybe we do have listeners since we know that burnout is so prevalent in the industry who could be experiencing burnout and maybe they are having the same experience you did of going, am I just going crazy? What was it that really made you realize, oh, I'm burnout. This is what the problem is. I'm not just going crazy here. So unfortunately, it was post-factum. So I didn't know that that was a burnout. I actually just thought that I had a mental disorder of a different kind, which I think burnout is a part of it. And I just, you know, with deep depression, that's what I thought it was. And I consulted with the psychiatrist and uh, hated everything about my life in the workplace and outside of the workplace. And unfortunately, it is brought on by the workplace and not necessarily with the amount. That's what a lot of people confuse. Uh, they confuse the amount of work with the burnout. It's only one of the components. There are several components to burnout and working a lot is only one of the six main triggers that are described in literature. But also I became quite indifferent to what I do, didn't want to be at work. And the big difference, I guess, uh, Maria Holowachuk explained it to me, which the difference between the compassion fatigue and the burnout is that compassion fatigue can go away by taking a little bit of rest taking a vacation and you can get out of it. Burnout is quite a situation from which vacations don't help and you really need professional help to get out of it. So that's, I think, kind of the pathognomonic thing about it. You're not getting rid of it even if you took vacation or, you know, took days off and it you carry it 
home with you you just you just become really disconnected from everything that you do you feel underappreciated uh, you feel like you work too much but there's no purpose to it and you become quite cynical and disconnected from patient care and it just you feel like you know you don't care that's what it sort of feels like when you're in it but i did not realize it at a time and then one of the initiatives that i've involved involved in uh, it's called vets in mind there's an app it's a uk project with a number of people from there and from the industry and you can actually self-diagnose and that app is absolutely free for vets so you can download in there's survey that you can do of yourself and differentiate between anxiety depression burnout and then there's resources that you can access thank you so much for sharing all of that and i love that you take such a holistic approach here of your own personal experience but then like you're talking about there's a very scientific component here of what's described in the literature and how all of this comes about and what it takes to to move to either prevent it or come out of it if you are experiencing burnout or compassion fatigue. So let's get into that a little bit more. Can you tell us a little bit more about the burnout studies, some of the key findings that you did see in conducting these studies? So the first year we were, my main goal was to actually find out whether we are burned out. You hear all the suicide incidents in the, in the veterinary field and you're thinking, you know, that's terrible but i was thinking is it truly sort of a pandemic if you will uh, is it something that is affecting the profession or is it more like a shark attack you hear about one and it sounds horrific but then if you look at the statistics it's not that prevalent so that was something i was questioning myself and just understanding is this the issue that we're truly having that needs to be addressed that if it's just when it happens it's terrible and uh, we applied the Professional Fulfillment Index Survey, which is a simple survey of 16 questions, but it was designed in Stanford, and it was tested against the standard, previously standard survey to assess the burnout designed by Christina Maslach, which was called, I think it's called BMI score. So we used this Professional Fulfillment Index. We got it permission from Stanford, and we ran just, I think the first study was about 1,500 respondents throughout the profession, different uh, professionals. So the veterinarians, the technicians, the managers, the assistants, and we asked them questions whether they work for corporate, whether they work for private practice, whether they work for academia, small animal, large animal. So just various questions and certain things came out very interesting. One in the first study, one interesting thing was that the younger vets burn out and essentially they have zero burnout right out of vet school. And within the first one to five years, they burn out and it's significant. So it's not just a shark attack. There is a significant prevalence. And it turns out that we are as veterinarians four times more likely to commit suicide than any other profession. We surpassed the dentists about four to five years ago. Uh, which used to be the most suicidal profession. And it left as any research with me with more unknowns than knowns and more questions, which I felt that this is how research should go. And then we have more questions. So further from that, so then we started building hypotheses. Well, why the younger vets and why, you know, certain things happen to certain groups. And then we started adding groups and different slice of data. So in the second year, one of the things that I have a theory about is that it's a lot to do with the goal setting. And for veterinarian, there's, it's almost like, I don't, I don't want to compare it in this way, but it's almost like breeding. We breed, you know, certain dog breeds 
for their traits that we want to see in their particular breed, but then we bring along the conditions that we didn't anticipate. So I think that the self, the selecting process of veterinarians leaves us with a group of people that are more susceptible to burnout. They're all type A personalities, overachievers and uh, perfectionists. And then along the way, I think it brings a lot of stress onto these people. And the goal setting component is for the most people that I know that you ever tell I'm a veterinarian, everybody says, I also wanted to be a veterinarian since I was 10. Whether people succeeded or not, it's a different story. But those that did, it's people that selected their goal in life to become a vet when they were 10, 15, maybe, I don't know, somewhere early in life. And it's a 15 to 20 year journey to actually become a veterinarian with a lot of selection process along the way. So it's people that are so goal-oriented for their entire career. And when they arrive to that diploma and the graduation, when they get out in the field, the goal is over. And there's just not, nothing ahead of them. Because becoming a vet is a very structured path and it's well-known. But then when you become a vet, you don't have a goal. And then you feel like this is it. And you don't have to study anymore. You just need to do what you learn. And my hypothesis was that that's a part of it. If people set goals, and it's well-known in positive psychology world that setting goals, personal goals outside of digital industry, anybody, is part of the well-being. And we tested that hypothesis in the second year. And it did turn out people that set goals are less burned out. So that was interesting. And what we're trying to extract from it is then management methodologies that we apply at Galaxy kind of counteract these findings and say, okay, well, how do we prevent people from burning out by not having goals? Or what are the main triggers of burnout? How do we manage organization that those triggers are not there? So that was the second year. And then in this year, we were very interested in three things. It was the uh, euthanasia. I always had a suspicion that euthanasia, it must affect us in one way or the other, but we we had this little spin on it, and we wanted to see if economic euthanasia specifically. So euthanasia itself and economic, meaning that the client doesn't have the money to pay, and you agree to euthanize because it's in the best interest of the pet, but you do know that you could have saved the pet if they had the financial means. And we did find that that's a huge contributor uh, to burnout. The actual economic euthanasia, the one that is typical sort of, you know, letting go end of uh, life care is actually not affecting veterinarians that much. And then two more things that we were testing this year. One, one that's becoming popular is remote work and what is the preference. And also we compared the compensation models, the production versus salary. But I said a lot there. I'll, I'll, I'll pass <laughs> <laughs> no, and like I totally honed in on everything you're saying. These studies are fascinating because we're taking concepts that, you know, I think we kind of see it being in the profession, uh, like you said, the suicide rate and the burnout and stuff like that. But we are, you know, we're built to work scientifically. And so seeing it all laid out in in these studies and you know these are the triggers these are not the triggers and here's how they affect the majority of people i think it just gives us so much insight into how we got here and how we move forward you mentioned a couple of things that you examined specifically in going through all of these studies was there were there any findings that really stood out to you that really surprised you and you went oh gosh i i did not see that coming well, the more, the more questions we ask, the more interesting it becomes because I had 
my own theories around it. For example, I thought that uh, for sure, salaried work is less prone to burnout than if you're on production. And my personal experience in this, again, this is where, you know, when you bring in your opinion and then the data says different, it's, you know, I think that's what's important to then prove yourself wrong, which this year it happened. <laughs> uh, so I worked in my career, I worked the first year I was offered production and I think I was the highest paid out of my class in, within the first year. But then I hated the feeling and uh, and I switched to being a salaried or hourly for my entire career. I just refused to work on production. And I thought that that's the best way to go is every veterinarian, when you ask their opinion, their opinion is the best one. <laughs> we have that tendency. <laughs> But this study this year actually showed, which was a big surprise to me, that, and it wasn't direct correlation, but it was in this sort of pattern. We asked the question whether people feel that they're financially secure. And then people that are on production, they're more, they're feeling more financially secure than, than people that are on salaries. And then on top of that, there was a correlation that people that feel more secure about their future, they're less burned out. So therefore, we made an inference that people that are on production actually less burned out, which contradicts every study in human healthcare that are out there, because there's many studies that show that people on production are more burned out than salary. So go figure. But that's, you know, the minimal data that we have. But now I'm looking back at it and thinking, you know, maybe there is a component of motivation that drives people and they're more involved, but I don't have an answer why. Maybe that's the next year's study to find out why, but that was an in interesting finding. That is interesting. Did you look at like the production models at all? For example, like a negative accrual model versus a base salary with a bonus on top of it? We didn't go that to that detail. I just think that's very unliked by anybody in their contracts, such just like non-competes and things like that. So we didn't dig that deep, but I think that negative accrual, I think it's just a bad management practice in HR. So, sure. but we didn't. Sure. Absolutely. That is surprising. I would have agreed with you that, that maybe salary would be the way to go. So that is an interesting finding. And you know, we're touching on some other things that are raising more questions, which I think is the sign of a good and necessary research focus. So what do you see for the future for the burnout studies? I don't know if we have uh, good hypotheses formed yet for the next year, but every year we'll do the same thing. We'll do it once a year. We'll take about a 2,000 people slice, and we will always measure the burnout in that group, and then we'll ask additional questions. The Actually, the first surprising finding that was there, when I was doing the first one, I thought that, uh, that the corporate medicine is the death star of the veterinary medicine. So I was trying to correlate the burnout to whether you work for corporate or not, and which was the whole purpose of my dissertation. I wanted to show that there's a better way to manage organizations, and then the corporate burnout people... And I didn't prove that. So that was a little bit of a, also my hypothesis, but it actually didn't show at, the, at least at that point, that was several years ago, that those that work for corporate are more burned out than people that are working for private practice. But going into the future, we'll do the same thing. We'll measure the burnout. We always check it with the last year. So actually, this is interesting. This year, the burnout is less than last year post-COVID. So COVID definitely had a huge impact on, uh, and I mean, we can probably emotionally assess oh, yeah. that, uh, but it is sort of quantifiably and now proven. And another one that we found out is that last two years, technicians were the most burnout group than veterinarians, which I keep emphasizing because 
you know, we have groups like Not One More Vet. We are talking a lot about veterinarians, but the people that are actually doing the work, the technicians, are burnt out more than us. So I think that that's a paramount importance to focus on our staff and in this market right now where you can't find veterinarians or uh, good technicians. Uh, we really need to focus on that and how do we drive the motivation in the organizations uh, to all levels of the organization. Another interesting finding was that this year, the managers are the most burnout group. And I don't have an explanation for that. So maybe things that we found and said, but why are those things that we'll ask next year and try to dig a little further into it? Gosh, it's fascinating because, again, these, these are all experiences that we're having in the industry um, of, of burnout and, you know, watching our staff members work so hard because it's hard, like you said, it's hard to find vets. It's hard to find techs. It's hard to find assistance. I would hypothesize maybe that's playing into some of the manager burnout if they're trying to keep things running. And that's not an easy thing to do for any industry right now. Maybe. Yeah. I want to go back to what you said about uh, your original dissertation saying corporate versus non-corporate, because part of that is how galaxy vets came to be. Is that correct? Yeah. So, so the, sort of the origin of Galaxy was when I wrote this dissertation, I didn't want it to end up somewhere on the dusty shelf. And I thought this is interesting. And there's a lot of things that I found. I spent time in uh, human healthcare to write this dissertation. And I spent time with the uh, executive leadership team of big hospitals, Boston General, San Francisco General. And I learned a lot from them. So I wanted to bring that into vet medicine. But if I were to go around and try to sell each individual private practice on it, it would be an uphill battle. So I thought that Maybe if I'll bring in, in the tool to the industry that affects the PL, it'll be interesting to bigger groups. But I thought that I saw it in the big settings, like big organizations where you deploy a management strategy and you can deploy through several layers of organizations, there's a big impact. If you talk about one hospital with 30, 25 people, that's not a big impact. So, so I thought about our industry, my experience through the window of SmartFlow and IDEX, and I thought there's these consolidators. And if I can prove to them that managing organizations with people in mind actually brings the top line and bottom line, then maybe we have a chance to change this industry. So I spent four years consulting uh, consolidators. We engaged with almost half of everybody who was existing at that point. There was 50 consolidators, at least 25 of them we talked to. Hands-on managed about eight. Helped with various aspects. It wasn't only about let's treat veterinarians from burnout. It was a business management methodology that we documented, created, documented, and taught. And it was there was a lot of good and positive effect on PL, but whenever we would get down to burnout, they were sort of all talking about the, that it's so important. We're all about improving the lives of veterinarians. And they all stumble when I ask them, how do you measure that? What metric represents that being achieved? And they all stumble and say, well, you know, and it's so because we were building a lot of metrics for them, I was always asking and saying, well, what is in your strategy? that you measure and what is the exact thing that you care about. And again, verbally, the CEO or CEO will say, we're caring about the veterinarians and the staff and the you know well-being of this industry. And very simple question, how do you measure all of those things? What is the number that you bring up every week on the leadership team meeting? Look at it and say, we're achieving success. And when you really dig into their strategy, 25 of them, the bottom line number was the bottom line. And it was the money or the number of clinics we can buy in the period of time. But it was never about the customer satisfaction. It was never about employee satisfaction, burnout prevention or anything else. It was PNL. 
So I got really frustrated with it. And I said, if we can't teach them and nobody cares, let's build an organization that truly cares about it. And that has the metrics that we will be meeting weekly and looking at that represent all of these things. And that was sort of the idea, looking at 25 different organizations. And then we looked at what they've done great. We looked at things that we would do differently. And then we compiled a methodology that we packed all of our knowledge about burnout, all of these studies, and then everything that we learned about the management and the um, the business aspect of it into Galaxy Vets. And we created the unique thesis from the uh, business model perspective. So it's a little different. We have these concepts of solar system that really facilitate the a lot of burnout thesis by providing variety of work and things like that. So it's a combination of people in mind with a great business model. So you put together and proving the fact that by managing people right, you can actually achieve financial results. Dr. Zach, I get the impression you're a doer. <laughs> you're like, here's all of this <laughs> data that we've compiled here. And like you said, instead of it sitting on a dusty shelf and be like, yeah, I did that once, there's data to show it. I mean, not, you've taken it and tried to implement it in multiple practices in ways that I think that's smart to affect the bottom line because we got to keep the doors open. We got to keep people paid. And so making it impactful to management and and the powers that be. But then in addition to doing that, then you took all the information and said, well, I I see this model and, and what it would really look like in an ideal world. And you took and created that. And I think that's just... The the whole process, I think, is is fascinating to take your burnout experience and then translate that into this really in-depth research that is the only research I know that's really measuring a lot of these components um, and then translate that into different strategies that can help multiple different hospitals and even further into creating that ideal model that that your research is kind of shaping. So just an incredible journey that you've been on. And now you've created this whole organization. Tell us more about the end product here. What is it about Galaxy Vets that really makes it unique? And, and how is that research being implemented? Well, thank you for those comments. And it's, uh, you know, if it was all intentional, that would be brilliant. <laughs> you only connect the dots looking back, as Steve Jobs said. So <laughs> that's the best way to do it, though. Like if it was intentional, it wouldn't <laughs> have gone, you know, as, as I would probably avoid burning out. Sure, I would, I would probably avoid many things in my career path if I looked forward and knew that this will happen. Only looking back, I would say, OK, this is why this happened. <laughs> but, sure, that darn crystal ball <laughs> that we've been searching for our whole careers. <laughs> Exactly. But uh, so there's a couple of interesting things about uh, Galaxy Vets. First of all, the the model of medicine is um, is locally vertically integrated, what's called. So essentially, we're putting together uh, what, what I've seen with other organizations. So a lot of taken from Mars and from, uh, uh, you know, they have component of the specialty practices through, through Blue Pearl. They have Banfield as a GP component and AVC and VCA. And then they have Antec as a lab. But I thought that that could be a good model locally integrated and build with intention. So instead of trying after you have these pieces, put them together and integrate, but rather be intentional and say, let's partner with the clinics in one particular location, seven to 10 of general practices, and then build an ER or an urgent care in the middle 
that will actually service these GP practices because buying ER is very difficult. 75% of the ER practices are acquired in the United States. So it's very difficult to build this hub and spoke concept. So, but partnering intentionally with the GPs and then building an urgent care in the middle and then adding a lab to it so you can save costs on the running your own lab work. And then essentially you're providing the full spectrum of services within one system. You don't just have GPs and then you send them to Mars or to Medved, or you don't have just the ER and you don't have the component where the source of these patients coming through. And then when you're doing the lab work, it's, you know, it, it's easy to do basic lab work. So hematology, biochemistry, endocrinology, you don't have to have, you know, robust lab. We wouldn't do microbiology and histopath. You know, there's great labs that do that, but just to cut the cost, you can do that. And then also overarching telehealth platforms. So essentially you're adding and opening up the four wall medicine to the telehealth. Now there's probably everybody starts immediately thinking about all the VCPR laws and everything around it. And yes, we're aware of those and we did a big research, but essentially it's supplementation of existing physical location with the online platform or with a proprietary software that allows the clients to communicate with the clinic by texting through this app, the Galaxy Vets app, and then potentially funneling some cases that don't have to be seen physically and that are allowed by VCPR, depending on the state, and then processing them outside online, which looping back into our burnout study of this year, 33% of veterinarians want to work partially remotely and the technicians, and we have a job for those, which is teletriage. So essentially some of the technicians that we hire and the best talent that you can hire, technicians that have been added for 20 years, their knees hurt from crawling on the floor with the dogs. And then they leave the profession at the age of 35 with the most knowledge that you can think of, but they can't apply it because it's such a physical job. Those people are brilliant to hire for the teleconsulting and teletriage to then funnel it to further telemedicine appointments, which you can finish with sending the animal to do the lab work and an x-ray back to your clinic. But they don't have to book an appointment anymore with the vet because they had the consult. So you're actually taking away the appointments from the clinic. You already conducted an appointment online. You just send them to your clinic to grab blood work and x-ray and follow up online again with the online prescription. So you're diverting the workflow around the clinic. You're providing the jobs to people that don't want to work in the clinic all the time. And in this vertically integrated system, our goal is to hire people not into a particular hospital, but into, we call this integrated system solar system. And it's a bit nerdy, <laughs> but we're Galaxy. We have solar system. I love it. And then there's a central hospital, which is a star. Our people are crew and the hospitals around it are planets of the solar system. But the goal is that one of the things that lead to burnout is redundancy. So a lot of GPs, after this goal accomplishment of being a veterinarian, they get into the general practice and they poke vaccines every day and they look into the ears same day. They don't do any advanced medicine, although they have the knowledge or vice versa. You know, I've been in the ER and after six years in the ER, I've seen every, you know, hit by car and splenectomy and everything I wanted to see in my career. So variety is a big component of burnout prevention. So what we want is the vets to be able to work. If I want to one shift in ER, two shifts in GP, and then I just had kids. So I want to be two days at home, working from home from my office. And we can facilitate that in speaking about the financial security. The interesting part about the employee ownership, uh, we thought that this is the holy grail and you provide it to people and they will all be bought into it and not so fast. It's actually very difficult to deliver the value of the equity to people so it actually sinks in. So you have to have more of the 
management strategies to educate people on finances. If you just provide equity to someone where it's not tangible and people live paycheck to paycheck, they care less about that sort of, you know, thing in the sky rather than my paycheck increases. So we developed on top of the production model for veterinarians, and this is where it gets interesting into management of the hospital teams using the production or the compensation models. If you think about driving the uh, top line of the hospital by driving veterinarian or hiring vets that are on production and love driving the production, what do the technicians and the assistant and the receptionist get out of it? Nothing. So essentially, if you are driving really high production as veterinarian, technicians and everybody else hate you because you're driving them insane and you make them work more, but it's the same 25 bucks an hour, 20 bucks an hour that you're getting. So we developed the compensation model that has long-term effect of equity, but also short-term effect of bonus system that is spread across the entire hospital. And then we have a proprietary app that everybody can access anytime. They basically look in their pocket. They have an app in which they can see, and we teach them all business acumen, how to look at top line production, bottom line expenses. And everybody from groomer to receptionist to technician to kennel attendant actually knows the basic financial metrics that we teach to them. And we set the targets. And if they hit over the target, that's a bonus that everybody gets. So if you think about the bonus system in the clinics, a lot of people think about this, you know, Christmas bonus that it's not really a bonus, it's a gift because there's no goal set. It's like, okay, you either get it or not based on the mood of the owner of the practice. But if you have the targets and you're told, okay, if we do this together, then anything above this will split between us. There's a different level of accountability that starts at the level of the hospital and the team. So that's kind of incorporated into it as well. And then there's many things that are sort of a lower and the soft touch, I would say, but we're working against the burnout triggers and there's six of them. So lack of control, we give a lot of control and autonomy at the place of work. Uh, conflict of values, we try to integrate hospitals and align on the core values, which is very important. It could sound very corporate, but if you don't agree on a fundamental level what you believe in, then you will disconnect very quickly. Right. If your management structure in the corporation is thinking about how many clinics we can buy in a period of time, but they're telling you how we care about the veterinary industry, that's disconnect of values. And it's seen very quickly in the sort of six to nine months after partnership or acquisition. So that's another one, work overload that needs to be managed, insufficient reward, so bonus structure. And uh, so that's uh, number four. Unfairness, there's tons of favoritism and things like that in the clinics and community breakdown. So we are very much focused on um, communication skills in the hospital, typing people in terms of sort of a disc or another uh, methodology so you can understand how to communicate with each other, conflict resolution skills, feedback provision, all of those things are deeply integrated into curriculum after we partner with the hospital. And those are the things that we're focusing on, not how to drive the hospital faster to more money. I just love how data-driven it is um, and how you're like, we're going to change this, not because you think that because of an experience you had at a hospital and it was bad. And so we're going to change this and it's going to affect everybody this way. Like, no, there's actual data to say, this is where the disconnect is going to happen. This is where things are going to fall apart. I'm thinking of myself. I'm going to, I do this a lot on the podcast. I'm going to bare my soul a little bit here. I'm thinking of my like 17, 18 year old self just entering the field and being really kind of overwhelmed by the medicine and not, not knowing what I don't know and just it being a lot all at once. And then 
being asked to go through modules to learn about the business and I'm learning about the business and I'm learning about the medicine at the same time. And, and, and I was in undergrad as well. And I just remember it being very overwhelming. I'm just curious to know, like the buy-in for those younger technicians, assistants, you know, maybe they're pre-vet, whoever they may be kind of just coming into the industry. How are you structuring that to where there's a lot to absorb here to where they can come into that system and really feel like, okay, I see how it functions and I understand the values and I understand my role in this system. So that's what we're continuously designing. I mean, this is a really difficult part. And I think so there's a process of integration of the hospital into the, into the overall organization. And this process is complicated by many transactional things when you buy a hospital. It's the banking, the vendors, the accounting, the HR, and all of those things. And this is what a lot of consolidators are focusing on. Mainly they're focusing on that, which is the right thing to do. But I think that what is overlooked a lot of the times is the cultural integration and then this whole business management integration. So we took a couple frameworks that exist. One of them is called Great Game of Business. So if anybody's interested, it's it's out there. We didn't come up with it. It's the methodology, but it's a very interesting book. It's called Great Game of Business. And it outlines how you actually, uh, they go through experience of their company, how you create an open book management and you make everything transparent and trustworthy. So essentially, once you establish the trust, then you establish the motivation and then you explain and then you explain how to get to certain achievement because people will always regardless of whether they're undergrad or not undergrad or you know veterinarian everybody wants to be compensated fairly and everybody's asking how can i get a raise how can i get a bonus well that's what we're explaining to them we're just making it very simple we're not taking them through you know cogs and fixed and you know assets and things like that we're taking them this is how much money goes into the till this is how much we spend to run the business. This is what's left over. And we promised investors that we're going to get here. If we're going to get more than that, we'll split it between us. That's an easy conversation. That's it. That's the whole business acumen training that we create. But then we supply them with an app that reflects those four numbers. And then, then people start asking questions. They say, well, we can never get to this bonus. And it's frustrating. And we're saying, okay, well, let's now make, have a meeting. And we have very structured meetings in the organization. There's always a meeting uh, between the leadership team once a week. And then it's cascading into, there's the, the, the doctor team, the, the assistance team, the technicians team. So they all can solve things. And we can get together and say, okay, you don't control the prices as a technician. But what do you control? You can control how many patients we process throughout the day. We can improve operational efficiency. So therefore, we can see two more patients a day. Well, average check transaction is 160 bucks. If we'll bring two more patients a day, that's $320. And then that will add over the course of a month that much money, which will help us to break through it. So what can you do as a technician to improve number of patients that we can see, not necessarily working harder, but working smarter and eliminate the things that are annoying along the way. So you're connecting with people at the place where they do the work. You're not just telling them you need to do more. You're just asking, how can we do it more effectively? But what it does on the financial and planning level, you're actually asking people, uh, let's say it's a reception, and how can we bring two more patients per day? And they can brainstorm in their meeting, not me coming in as a CEO of the company and say, you need to see, well, how can I do that? You ask them and say, hey, what would you do? Because I don't know what you do. 
this is your job. I'm not with you there and I can't tell you how to do it, but can you tell me how you can do it to see one more patient a day? Okay, maybe we'll increase the reminder calls instead of automating it. Maybe we'll, whatever it is, so we conduct these conversations and then people say, okay, we commit to bring one or our goal, you gamify the experience and they're playing this game of business saying, we want to play a game of bringing one more patient a day in the next month. And we're going to do one, two, three to achieve that. What you just done on the macro management level, you set the budget, which is one more patient a day, and you created the forecast and the way to get there and you establish accountability around it because a group of people agreed how to without touching them and telling them what to do. So that's a bottom-up management, how they can come up with things, but you need to reward them for that. So the end compensation should include that bonus if they achieve that result. If you just tell them, drive this faster because I want a new boat, that's not going to work. So <laughs> No, that tends to not go over well. Yeah, that's what we're trying to achieve. It's not that we're perfect there, but this is essentially what we're following and developing. And there is a lot of curriculum, but we're trying to bring it into the the organizations as the part of the skills matrix. So essentially at each level of the organization, you can be a technician level one to three, you can be a GP doctor one to three. And then each of those include not just the technical and medical skills, but the business acumen and knowledge of the structure of the organization. So you weave in these management things into the organization. And if they want to grow and increase their pay rate, they have the clear path of learning more things through the learning management platform to acquire those skills being checked by the mentor. And then they can get into the next tier of sort of micro credentials within the organization. So like you said, bottom up management and open books management, it sounds like you're creating a lot of employee buy-in with that type of a model to say, we're focusing on these individual jobs, on the CSRs, on the managers, on the technicians, on the assistants, on you know the different levels, and creating this model where you can grow in whatever aspect of the organization that you thrive in. That's kind of where you want to be. It's really cool. Like such such a neat concept. I guess are there any concepts that you've tried or any ideas that you've tried to implement? where you thought this is going to work great and then it didn't work out? Employee equity. Uh, that's a big one because so when we when we thought about it, I thought that was brilliant. Let's just do this. And we had hard time finding investors sign up for this, but we this is this is the the line in the sand. We want to provide equity to employees. But when we got to actual management, people are not motivated on day to day basis as much as you tell them you're owners now. It actually didn't do what we thought it will do. And then what we did, we found a wonderful organization. It's called NCEO, National Center of Employee Ownership. And we I met the founder and it's a huge organization. It's like a little cult within the business, I call it, <laughs> because it's people that are passionate and understand the value of employee ownership in the organizations, but it's a hard work to deliver it. It's not just you give them equity and tell them you have shares, number of shares X, it's the main thing actually in what they found. How do you motivate people to understand that they're owners? How do you make someone feel like an owner? And it turns out if you give them equity and tell them that they have it, it doesn't do the trick. So one of the most important things, you actually allow people to make decisions and you allow them to drive ideas. And that's another wonderful book. If I can advertise another one, it's called Ideas Are Free. And in the organizations, basically, there's tons and tons of ideas that come up from the frontline staff. Only the reception can tell you that printing out this piece of paper never helped anybody and we're shredding it and we're just losing 
ink or and paper but then at the level of the manager of the hospital you'll never reach that level so you motivate people to submit and implement ideas and you get out of their way and you let them to do it and then they own the process so if i tell you that in order to see the patient you need to check them in sign here write on the you know travel sheet that they need this medication create a treatment sheet admit that's i told you how to do that when you go and say hey we have this process do you find anything anything that doesn't work in it People immediately will tell you that this is stupid, this we hate doing, and we don't know why we're doing this, but we've always been doing it this way. So my experience from implementing SmartFlow, we've put it in 650 hospitals before we sold it to IDEX. I was always coming into the hospital or doing presentation online, and I would just say, hey, what do you? can you take me through and through when you admit the patient to the time you discharge the patient and tell me what things you would like to change? And people would come in and exactly point out every single step of the inefficiency. And then I would turn back to them and say, okay, well, we're going to put smart flow in and it's going to facilitate all of the things that are useful. And we're going to throw at things that you said that are not useful. And they all thought that we were geniuses of the workflow, but we were not. We were asking them how to do it. But then from that point, they own the process and they love it because they know that I created this and I will follow this because I created this. We had this uh, interesting, I always give this example of management in Boston General Hospital in the ER department. They had a problem of every patient coming in. It says, before you enter the bathroom, it says, do not void before you see a doctor. And then everybody would pee before they see a doctor and they would never have a urine sample. And then they had a Hispanic a newcomer nurse that was working there. And she said, can we change do not void to do not pee? Because I'm a foreigner and I don't understand the word void. So then they changed the sign. She owned it. That was her sign. And then <laughs> everybody started submitting sample. People didn't understand what void means, but she owned the process and they let her to do the change. And then she was proud of it because she made a change here. So in the employee ownership, the most important thing is not to give equity, but to show people how do they influence to increase the value of the equity. So by improving the processes at the place where they work, then they feel that we're getting to the frameworks, how to motivate all of that. That makes a lot of sense to me. You know, again, I'm thinking of like my 18 year old self coming into the field. It probably took quite a bit past when I first entered the field to where I would, I would truly see the value in equity, like probably through vet school and everything like that. If you were like, we're going to give you equity, I'd be like, cool. I got to figure out how to be a doctor right now. And I'm not worried about that. And, you know, I think in, in a lot of areas of veterinary medicine, you know, money not might not be like the biggest motivator, but like you said, the ownership of those processes and then seeing the benefit of that ownership financially, that, that fits perfectly in how my brain works. So it makes a lot of sense that, that that would be a really successful management strategy. And Dr. Zach, I want to sit here for like another hour and continue to pick your brain about galaxy vets and the burnout studies, because all of this, I think what's drawing me in so much is how data driven it is. But unfortunately, I do think we probably need to wrap up our conversation here. I hope we can have another one, maybe as more of these studies come out. Uh, thank you so much for for joining me and for for going through all of this, for sharing your personal journey. Are there any final thoughts you want to share as we wrap up? Well, thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, I just encourage people to follow our studies, follow Galaxy Vets and see what we're creating. I'm more than happy to make mistakes along the way. And I think that that was the biggest learning in my uh, career. And we're trying it. We have the best intentions and we're trying to create an environment in which is burnout free, but everybody's also successful. So please follow us. I think that's my only ask. And I'm happy to have another conversation. And thank you for having me. 
Very cool. Thank you so much for joining me. Dr. Zach, thank you so much for joining me. This was such an interesting talk and I so appreciate you sharing your journey and all that it's led to on this episode here. Thank you to Galaxy Vets for making this episode possible. And of course, thanks to everyone out there for tuning in. For more episodes like this, click on the education tab on the Vetfolio website. As always, we'd love to hear your input on this talk as well as ideas for topics you'd like to hear from us in the future. Feel free to reach out to me at dvm at vetfolio.com. You can also visit my Facebook page at Dr. Cassie DVM, and you can find me on LinkedIn. And remember, if one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day. Mm-hmm.